All right. Today we are talking with Tim Ulbrich, and this has been a conversation that I've been excited to have because Tim is somebody that I've just been put in contact with recently, but he's somebody that throughout my time in pharmacy school and throughout my time on LinkedIn and other social platforms has been a name that always kind of pops up when I'm looking at other pharmacists. So I'm excited to chat with him. And so Tim went to a combined six-year program for pharmacy undergrad at Ohio Northern University and then did a residency at Ohio University or Ohio State University probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'll let Tim kind of take the introduction from here and talk a little bit about himself pharmacy wise, as well as your financial pharmacist. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And, and really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you. Uh, as you, as you mentioned, we, we just recently got connected through, uh, a shared uh, friend and somebody we both greatly respect in the profession and uh, lo love following the work that you're doing and uh, le left our previous conversations re really energized and so excited for, for this discussion today. Yeah, so I graduated 2008, Ohio Northern University, uh, did a year residency at the Ohio State. Um, during my residency, really fell in love with the, with the academic side of things, and through those teaching experiences, landed my first position in in the academic space at North. Spent about ten years there in, in, a, in a few different roles. Started in a uh, combined. Uh, quickly fell into more of the uh, administrative roles, and then most recently spent a few years at. Ohio State directing the, the master's in health system pharmacy administration program uh, before leaving uh, to work full time on, on the business. So I've had a few different roles. I uh, started in more of a traditional clinical training role, academia, some administrative roles, and always had the pull back to the entrepreneurial uh, work. And I'm excited to be doing that work full time. Yeah, that's an exciting backstory. I think kind of sets the stage for the conversation to have today and just kind of let it flow where it goes. I think the the initial things that stood out, well, the first thing that stood out is that you and your business partner are both Tim's, which was a confusing thing because I didn't know which one or if it was the same person when I was first seeing your names pop up because Tim and Tim as the co-founders. Um, but outside of that, I know that content creation has been a big aspect and a big thing that you've seen value in and found value in, in a number of different forms. So I know you co-authored a book, you host a podcast that runs pretty frequently um, mm -hmm. among a number of other like blogs on your website and everything else. So talk a little bit about like how you even got started in the first place and what made you say to yourself, like, I'm going to do something on the internet and put out something. <laughs> um, and kind of where it's gone from there. That's a great, great question, Chris. And I think sometimes for those that have been in content creation for, for a while, like you can forget about where the journey started, um, you know, and especially for us as we continue to grow, like I'm not, not as much, I am in the podcast, but not as much in the blog and other areas in that direct content, you know, creation role. But so the, the, the short story is fall 2015, 
uh, November 6, 2015 to be exact, I wrote a, an article uh, that was the first piece of content I put out there under the, the brand Your Financial Pharmacist. And that article was describing my journey going through uh, debt repayment, about $200,000, and why I felt like I was trapped uh, in, in my role and financially, despite having a good, good six-figure income. And that backstory on, on that topic was I've always been passionate about personal finance. And as I was going through my debt repayment journey, I felt frustrated that there weren't more resources out there for pharmacists when it came to personal finance. Uh, I felt like there was a lack of, of community that was seen in other professions. And I just felt like there was a need and there was really a gap to fill in terms of helping pharmacists along their path of, of achieving financial freedom, whatever that would mean to them individually. And so I reached out to a hundred of my closest uh, friends and colleagues. Some of them, it was text message. Some of that was on LinkedIn. I said, Hey, I'm thinking about writing this blog about personal finance and pharmacy. What, what do you think? And what's interesting is in that moment, you know, if, if those are close friends, uh, colleagues, people that respect you, the, the, the answer is probably, yes, I'm going to follow it. Yes. I'm interested. Um, and that was the case, but that was all the validation I, I needed in the moment to get started. And so that became the beginning of, of the email list. And we're, we're now a community of about 12,000 pharmacists across the country that, that follow the work that we're doing um, in terms of some of the blogs and emails and, and so forth. And that was the first 100 people that, that started that journey. And quickly from there, I kept hearing some of the same things over and over again of, hey, I too feel like I'm a pharmacist who's making great income, but I'm not progressing as quickly as I would like financially because of X, Y, or Z, right? Because of you know, big, big amounts of student loan debt uh, because of, yes, this is a great income, but there's a lot of competing financial priorities. You know, I feel like I'm overwhelmed and, and I need some help. And I really started to sense this need for community. And, and the way I describe what we do with YFP today is we are simply facilitating a community of pharmacy professionals that are committed to wanting to do this whole topic of personal finance better and to really be intentional with how they're spending, how they're saving their money. And we do that through, you know, you mentioned several that we've, we've got a weekly podcast. We run three shows per week. We've got a pretty active uh, Facebook group and community, lots of information on the website. And then we also do one-on-one -on -one, uh, financial planning. And that, how we, how we created it, it was with leading content and value, something I still adhere to today, you know, bring good content, bring valuable information. And, and typically I think the business will follow. That really is credit to Pat Flynn, uh, much as his work that I listened to early on, Smart Passive Income, other creators like Amy Porterfield and others that had influences on, on me at the time when I was getting started. And I just started creating more and more content of things that I said, hey, this would have been valuable if I would have had this. And therefore, I think it's valuable for others. And, and that will begin to take a life of its own. And it did. And, and from the blog that led to speaking engagements, relationships with associations, podcasts, books, et cetera and really played a critical, critical role to where we are today. I think that's an awesome kind of backstory and setup because that, that's a topic that I'm extremely interested in and passionate about being in the industry that I'm in and knowing kind of the power of content, but also how it can be fueled outside of like the business world. It can be fueled for personal branding is the, word for it but i like to just say that it's just reputation and kind of mm. you know what you're going to be known for what you said about being able to create something that would have been helpful for you 
or if you know you have to go through the process of learning something anyways why not make a resource it's going to help you learn better mm-hmm. and then put it out there for other people to get value from i think there's a lot of like credibility that can be built from that which obviously occurred from myself being able to see your name pop up when i was in pharmacy school and my other peers there's a couple other things i want to unpack that i think were cool so kind of talking about the validation to get started and be able to kind of have people that looking back you know they probably were going to say yes this is something you should do but being able to have that validation and kind of like the kick to go for it i think that that's something that most people encounter when they're thinking about like making content or putting something out there or doing anything that's going to expose yourself more publicly than what you're used to. Um, The reason that I even got started posting content was I was consulting all these people on like content creation, but I wasn't doing it myself. So I felt like a little bit of a hypocrite. So I just kind of forced myself into being able to talk about a topic. Um, And then it evolved from there, Mm -hmm. which is a fun journey. There's a book that I'm reading right now called the YouTube formula that just came out back in February, but Mr. Beast, one of the biggest YouTubers wrote the foreword and something that I've latched onto so far that I liked is he talks about like getting started and how to get started. And you need to one, have like a longer term vision, not, not vision necessarily, but a longer term like commitment. Mm -hmm. You can't just expect to see results within the first two weeks and then give up if you're not seeing results. Um, but then he also says that the first 10 videos you're going to make are going to be absolute garbage. The next 10 videos are going to be garbage. And probably the next hundred after that are going to be complete and total garbage when you get progressed a couple of years down the road and look back at it. And I don't know why, but that helped me like feel comfortable taking the plunge into whatever new type of content, because I know that it's not going to be as good as it could be in a year. And the only way to start is to get started. To get started, right? And, and, you know, one of the books I often recommend to folks, you, you said Journey, which really resonates with me, Chris, is Start by John Acuff. I, I can vividly remember. So November 6, 2015 was the first article. Uh, summer, the summer before I was on a plane to AACP annual meeting in July, and I read Start by John Acuff. And that was the mental uh, momentum that I needed to say, okay, I've got a loosely formed idea you know, I'm not super confident about, you know, web design and logos and all that, but I know there's a need here and I'm just going to get started and see where it goes from there. Even though I don't know what this is going to look like in three years, let alone in two months, to be honest. Right. Um, and if I wouldn't have done that, you know, you, you're coming about the journey. Uh, e- even now I look. throughout that entire process. And so get, getting started, so so important that you take those first steps without knowing exactly where that's going to go. Uh, and you're going to learn and you're going to look back, right? I, I look back at early posts. I look back at early, you know, logos, early website, and it's evolved significantly and, and rightfully so because there's been reps there. Uh, there's been additional help that I have now, people that can help me refine it and, and make things a little bit better. You find your voice you know, as time goes on, but all of that, you know, doesn't happen unless you take that first step. 
you know, to get started. And, and so I think for folks that are, are listening to this uh, and, and maybe see other creators out there and they're like, ah, I don't know about this or that, you know, I think that can be paralyzing. And I, I would just encourage folks, you know, whether it's a post on LinkedIn, whether it's talking it out loud with colleagues at work, like take a little bit of that risk. I mean, put, put yourself out there. If you've got something to share, you know, that's a value and you'll get some feedback and that will improve along the way. What one, one story, Chris, I want to give you a tangible story from this week yeah. about the value of content. I had a prospective client call two nights ago and the story of how this person got to us to get to the point of potentially signing up for one-on-one -on -one comprehensive financial planning services, which is really for us, the, the bread and butter of the business. They heard me speak at APHA in San Francisco. I think it was three, maybe four years ago. So I did a session on financial wellness for new practitioners. That was the beginning of that relationship, the understanding of uh, what, who YFP was. I think at that time, I probably did like a sign up uh, or a giveaway or something. They got on the email list. They've been following content, listening to podcasts, you know, throughout the last several years. And then just two weeks ago, I released a podcast of a pharmacist that had $127,000 forgiven through public service loan forgiveness. They too are navigating public service loan forgiveness. And that episode was the connection point from the entry of, of hearing about us to actually taking that step to wanting to move forward with one-on-one -on -one planning. But that's been a three plus year of building a relationship through content. Um, and, and so to your comment about a long play, like, you know, you do this for two weeks and it might not work and I give up, like, that's a great tangible example of that for all, you know, for us, so much of what we do is we're planting seeds, we're providing value and that may or may not be monetized into the future. And that's okay because our mission is to help pharmacists achieve financial freedom. And I hope they'll do that with us in one-on-one and, -on -one and other situations. But if we play a small role where they read one blog post, they engage in the Facebook group, they listen to a podcast and that stimulates something then for them individually that has a positive change. I'm okay with that. That's great, right? But it often can be a long journey to get there. Yeah, I like, I like that tangible example too. And the other thing I take away from that is like you talk about the, the kind of the trigger moment of when it kind of tipped them over the edge. Everybody's going to have kind of a different thing that resonates with them. And the only way to like predict what that's going to be is just be able to put out a bunch of different feelers in different areas, which can be intentional or unintentional by just inviting guests that have their own experiences and their own journey and then it resonates with somebody else so it's still crazy to me that content creation is free for the most part outside of time and that you can post something on the internet and people can see it without spending money is crazy to me. And, and i think about that all the time chris with the podcast like one of the reasons i've been so bullish on the podcast is one i love that medium yeah. um but two i i feel like it's a different way of developing a relationship right like when when you're if I listen to a podcast that I love, when their voice is in my ear, like I feel like I begin to get to know them, trust them. And in our industry of financial planning, where there's a lot of not so great services that are out there, like that planting of seeds and building relationship and trust is so important for people to be willing to be vulnerable with a topic like their own money. Right. Yeah. So I think it, it goes back to a little bit of me, like, you know, there's lots of mediums out there, but for whatever you're working on like is there a certain medium that might really resonate with folks or provide value and for, for us you know now that we're about 220 episodes into the podcast uh, on one show and a couple others that we've added like 
that really has been a huge medium and is our greatest referral source. And I think that is in part because of the medium, but also in part because of building that relationship that I think can come through through something like a podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The podcast that you guys run is a beautiful system of being able to provide value and also bring people into the ecosystem to start the conversation. And you kind of touched on like the aspect of building community. And that is, it's already been a big part of social media and marketing in general, but I think that's going to get even more micro over the next decade in the little communities that people can build. Um, I've been really big into NFTs and learning about all of that. And they talk a lot about community building, but like discord is the main way that people communicate there. And there's just all these little micro communities of people that are really passionate about different topics. And you can find those on any social media platform. And that's the beautiful thing that like the platform will change over the years, but the message that you're able to put out being consistent is going to keep the same kind of following and group of people that you're able to help. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for me, community, for those that haven't read tribes by Seth Godin, like that, that book, you know, six, seven years ago and I read it, it was just so eye opening to yeah. really taking myself. The business is not about me or about Tim. It's about us facilitating a community pharmacist that care about a topic. And when your role is a facilitator of community, like that will have positive benefits with the business. It, it absolutely will. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one of the challenges I think that creators have, especially with changing platforms, is how do you translate that community into something of which you don't have control over or could change right tomorrow um, to actually then, you know, converting them to on an email list or another other avenue. So how do you leverage social media platforms? How do you leverage different things to then bring them into your own community where you can then have a little bit more control over the dialogue back and forth? Definitely. And that's a topic in and of itself. It is. <laughs> Which is why I love this space. And I think that that kind of the, the business methodologies that we have underlying, I think are pretty similar, which is why we jive as well as we do. Because from what I'm hearing from you say is being able to facilitate a community, kind of put out resources that are going to really help people. And then if they decide to work with you in the future or not, it doesn't really matter. They're going to get value from those resources. And obviously it's just going to happen that if that's your intent is to really help people really provide them with quality resources to help them reach their goals, it's going to happen that they naturally flow into business. And I think that's a beautiful way to do business that is pretty non-traditional when you think like over the last 50 years of the way that business has been done, sales have been done, but is what is working extremely well within the era of social media and community building and everything. Yeah. And I think it's, a, it's very much like an abundant approach to business, right? You know, and, and to your comment about sales, like when we have someone get on a sales call with us, like they're, they're coming to us and they've been engaging with our platform for a while. That's a very, very different conversation than a, a cold outreach. You know, not, not to say that those might not have a place because there's a lot of people out there that might not who, know who we are that I think we could provide value to. But if someone's been engaging with content, if they've been a part of community, if they've been listening to the podcast, if they've heard, you know, my voice or they've heard a guest on our show where they can really resonate with like, hey, that, that's me. Like I see myself in that person's shoes. That's a totally different relationship 
and conversation when it comes to, you know, something like, like a sales call. And so I think that relationship building aspect is, is huge. And, you know, just to translate that to our business, I firmly believe, you know, in terms of our mission, helping pharmacists achieve financial freedom, I think the greatest way we can do that from my personal experience and seeing the transformative impact it's had on clients is through one-on-one comprehensive planning. However, I also recognize that for a multitude of reasons, people may choose not to do that. And that could either be not now or not, not ever. Right. And so, you know, how do we provide value? How do we create the community for folks wherever they are? And to your comment, like they'll, they'll get there, you know, for folks that it's a good fit for us and a good fit for them. But if not, that that's okay too. There, there's lots of other resources. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and go back to 2015 when you're making that first post, you're still a pharmacist and have been a pharmacist. So did you go into that, like thinking, okay, this is going to become a business. That's what I'm going to be doing. Or what was kind of the thought process that you had at that point when you were first starting off with this different topic? Yeah. You know, I was, I was probably in hindsight, overconfident uh, in terms of like where, where it could go, but, but I'm glad I was because I think sometimes you have to be naively optimistic to be able to move things forward. Right. I I think that like in my role of running this company, part of my job is sometimes to be naively optimistic because that means we're going to take some risks, take some chances. They're not all going to work. Uh, But that, that is part of my role. I feel like as a visionary for the company and leading the company. And I, and I was that in 2015, you know, if I look back in hindsight, really what it was is, a hobby and a topic and, and see where it goes. I, I firmly believed it had potential to be something. Now, I couldn't have articulated in the moment what it was going to look like today. But pretty quickly, I started to realize, okay, here's a blog. Uh, okay, I'm seeing an opportunity for speaking engagements. I'm seeing yeah. an opportunity for a book, maybe some sponsorships. So I started to see the business model of the media side of it come together. But I quickly realized that even has a ceiling in terms of like, is this a side hustle? Is this a business? You know, what, what, what is this? Once I was able to put the pieces together of like, wait a minute, if we provide all of this value and they're looking for a financial planner and, and we really want to do this right, why would we pass that off, you know, somewhere else? Right. What, once those dots connected, you know, I then went on a quest to find what's the right financial planning solution. And, you know, unfortunately, because of, of how that industry is set up and how variable and nuanced it is, I, I quickly realized that was going to be harder than yeah. I thought it would be. I, I interviewed a few different planners, was really frustrated by kind of the smoke and mirrors of like, wait a minute, how are you charging? Like, yeah. where is this coming from? What's provided? And then I learned about the concepts of fee only and fiduciary, which are thankfully becoming better known. I was introduced to, to Tim Baker and, and really fell in love with kind of how he was uh, integrity wise, running his business and doing the fee only model. And, and that's where I saw the stars align in terms of it really having the full potential of the business. But yeah. at the, at the beginning, you know, y- yes, but no, you know, I could see yeah. the upside of the content, but I couldn't see the, the full potential of the business. And, and I think if I'm honest with myself, like sitting here today, you know, on September 2nd, 2021, like I can see the, the business growing from what we're doing now to having, you know, more clients and, and more relationships. But I suspect in five years, I may look back and say, oh, I had no idea that we would go, you know, in this direction or that direction. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's a journey, right? The word you mentioned earlier and, you know, being open to new opportunities 
which is really hard because I think when you're leading a company, you want to be open to new ideas, opportunities that can diversify, but also you can quickly get squirrel syndrome that can take you away from the, the main core of what you're trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that you've touched on twice now is kind of the concept of being able to pivot and being confident in your ability to pivot, being confident in your ability to adjust. And I think that is like the primary reason why most people don't get started. If they want to do something entrepreneurial, if they want to do a side hustle, or if they just want to create content for fun, I think that like concept of perfection and wanting it to be perfect before they take the leap is kind of that crippling component. Whereas on the other side, and I think the thing that I've identified in myself that I've done well is the same skill is being able to go into something with a plan and know where you want to take it, but be okay if the way you get there has to adjust as long as kind of like you're set in the same direction and you might change that direction, but being confident in your ability to operate and change, I think is a superpower for sure. <laughs> I, I really agree. And, and Chris, I, you know, I, I've struggled with perfectionism. I think many, many pharmacists probably do. And I had a mentor during yeah. residency that, you know, pr pretty directly said to me of like, Hey, Hey Tim, you got to get used to like 90% shipping something out. Now what, what she was not saying is like, it's okay to do sloppy work. What she was yeah. saying is that, the work to get from zero to 90 and 90 to hundred can often be the same. Yeah. And you've got to really evaluate, like, especially if you're in a leadership role or trying to grow something like wh when is it okay? Even if it's not always perfect. And I think sometimes that's even welcome, especially if you're trying to, you know, rally a community or get, get some feedback. You know, I, I might put out a piece of content and, and that group makes it better. Right. And that's the purpose. It's not fully polished. You know, when, when I send that and, and that's okay because of the value that the community brings or, you know, when can you have the right help around you where you say like, okay, I don't need to be doing this. And I've got, you know, a couple of folks right now that really help me on the writing side where it's like, Hey, I've got this piece. That's like 60%. I know where I want to go with it. Like help me take this to the finish line. And, yeah. and that is incredibly, you know, powerful to be able to really create that content machine that you, you mentioned before. If I look at, what we put out now, you know, three podcasts a week, you know, lots of social media content. I think we've done 45 ish presentations in, in 2021. Like there is no way that's happening if I'm doing all that work. Right. And so it goes back to vision. So if our vision is to help as many pharmacists as we can achieve financial freedom, then I'm hindering that vision if I'm trying to do that myself. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, I was able to trick myself into thinking that if I don't, do things differently. It's almost selfish because you're having less impact and you're not achieving that impact that you're trying to reach. And that was a thing that I, or like a trick I used to use to make sure that I was progressing and doing things in the most strategic and efficient ways as possible. Um, Cause I think that initial, like as an, as a business owner, the initial, handing off of stuff is probably the hardest stuff to do because you know you can still do it but long term it's probably not something sustainable that you can do as you alluded to with 42 presentations not being able to do that if you're the one handling everything behind the scenes of it yeah and let me give chris just a tangible example of that real quick so yeah. podcast right so if i look back two, two three years ago you know most of our shows are about 30 to 45 minutes 
you know, we, we were way back when doing the editing, but even editing aside, like we, we haven't been doing that for a while, but editing aside, you know, I would spend a good hour, hour plus prepping for a piece of content. You've got follow-up work. You know, we send an email out, we put together social media content somewhere. You can easily spend for a 30 to 45 minute show, easily four to six hours. You know, I think if you're doing it um, and, and spending, you know, time intentionally, I, I, I most weeks now have that down to about 30 minutes. And that's because of a team of, you know, that, that helps me do some background research that's better at, you know, looking into that perspective guest, helping me think of, you know, what's some interesting things that our audience might, might be used to, as well as all the technical things of writing the email copy and all those other things. But, you know, that's five hours a week, right? F five hours a week that could be spent otherwise in the business. And I would argue the content has gotten better as I've been less involved in some of those other peripheral pieces. So, you know, I, I think I would encourage folks not to look at it as a, oh, if I step out, it might be not as good, but what else could be done? What's the opportunity cost of you spending all this time? What else could be done? And might it even have a chance to get better if you're not involved in all the pieces? Yeah. And I think that's the component that is inevitable for it to happen is that things will get better if you're not involved in all the pieces, because there's less of a bottleneck and people are able to have creative freedom. People are able to yeah. have multiple hands do the work instead of having like a single person bottleneck. Mm -hmm. So it's cool hearing kind of that progression with content and business. And I think that's like a natural progression that a lot of business owners go through, mm -hmm. which I like seeing. <laughs> um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit again because you've, you've already referenced like a couple books. So it seems like you like to read. What is either the last book or a book that you're currently reading that has been helpful for you regardless of the topic? Yeah, I, I am a, a big reader. Uh, it's one of those things I struggle with of like, you know, I've got four, four young uh, boys at home and so, so time is, is precious obviously with them. And so I'm always feeling that like, a little bit more time to read, a little bit more time to read, right? Um, I'm actually reading right now, currently Barack Obama's book, which is, um, I think, just incredibly insightful for, for a variety of reasons. And um, I think just really, really well written and done. So not not specifically on the business side as, as much. Um, probably the, the last business book I read that I think has me thinking differently, which is a good sign of a book, you know, one that stays with you for several weeks that you often think about and come back to. Um, it was called Buy Then Build. And, you know, the, the premise of the book is that, especially I think in the age of where entrepreneurship is, is glorified, startups are glorified, right? Yeah. That there's this constant desire I think many folks have of, I want to start something from scratch and grow this and, and, and maybe get venture capital money and, and take it public and, you know, cash out. And you and I both know that that's, you know, a, a, a needle in a haystack, right? Yeah, yeah. And the premise of this book was there's a lot of businesses that are out there that folks could buy, probably not at what they may think it takes capital wise, and then really bring something to it, whether it's operational efficiency, whether it's marketing expertise, whether it's new ideas, and they could yeah. really scale and grow an already profitable but small business. And I've, I haven't thought about that, you know, before. And it has me thinking differently as we're looking at like expanding our tax practice, you know, might we buy a tax practice to help kind of gain some of that operational expertise rather than trying to build it from scratch? 
And I think I've always been in this mindset of like building things from scratch. And so that book, Buy Then Build, has me thinking, you know, a little bit differently. Yeah, I just wrote that down because I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that, like, that's an interesting concept. I think to most people that think about like starting something. So being able to start something from scratch is one option. Being able to start something from scratch, gain the experience in a certain industry, and then maybe kind of take a second stab at it mm -hmm. with rolling with a book of business and operations that are already there, but know you can take kind of what you already learned and apply those principles to something that has been started already. That's right. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. The other book I'm reading right now too is, is a book on angel investing, a topic I'm just interested in and yeah. how different angel investing can be from back venture capital. But they, they make a, a really, the author makes a really good um, analogy that we often think about angel investing, almost like venture capital, where it's like you put in your money, it's boom or bust. You end up with zero or you end up with, with a whole lot. Yeah. But she, she breaks down a, a second type of angel investing, which I think she calls like main street angel investing, which is what are the businesses you interact with every day that you go in and you love, but you look at them, you're like, oh, what about this? Or could this be done differently? It's, it, like they might be open to having an investor, whether that's more passive, whether it's more active, whether it's minority, whether it's equal majority, whatever, that you're able to then bring something to the business and you're not starting something from scratch. And, and that has yeah. me thinking differently because I'm, I am that person where like the local ice cream shop, I'm like, <laughs> man, they're crushing it. I love this place, but oh man, if they would do this and this and this, or, you know, we took our, our dog to a boarding place recently. I'm like, oh man, they could really benefit from like some of these operational things that we're doing inside the business. Like, yeah. so what are the, the businesses that you already love as a consumer you interact with? And then you're like, okay, I could bring something to these. So I think for those that have an interest in business, we often think, maybe too narrowly in terms of what the opportunities could be to get involved in, in different business activities. Yeah. That's something that I hadn't even like heard of or thought of, but makes a lot of sense thinking of it from the other way, because I mean, if I had an ice cream shop and had somebody that was coming in even twice a month, but a face that I recognized and then they approached me and said that they wanted to give me money and also help with X, Y, and Z, like that's a pretty attractive offer because you're getting as a business owner, then you're getting like a fans mm -hmm. raving review, but also their way of making it better, which is usually a good combination because it overcomes your blind spots as a business owner, which seems like that of investing type does and allows you to kind of take things from the other perspective. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I think we tend to put business owners on a pedestal, like they have it all figured out. Like, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit, like, you know, I think I'm really strong in like vision and thinking about marketing and, and relations, but like operational efficiency, like t Tim is, you know, a, a wizard in that. And so, you know, if you have a mom and pop business local and they're an N of one and they've been doing it for 20 years and it's largely been the same, they're probably pretty darn good at a bunch of things, yeah. but there's also probably a whole host of other things that, they may not be as good at. And with a little bit of a different perspective, you know, the business might go, go to the next level. So um, yeah, it has, has me thinking in, in a different way too. I love it. I love it. The last question that I'll ask, and then we'll wrap up with kind of like ways that people can find you. Um, so we talked about books. What are your go-to podcasts? 
Yeah, I bounce around. You know, the one that I'm uh, listening to kind of on binge right now is called The Founder's Journal. Um, and I think their main show is business casual. And I think the company is morning brew the way, the way they describe their business, which I really like it is essentially like a modern, more digestible wall street journal for like a younger generation of entrepreneurs. And it, it is that. So the founder's journal is one of the co-founders of morning brew. It's usually about 10 minute ish daily episodes and really just impactful leadership lessons that I think whether someone is a business owner or not, uh, it's really, really great content and, and information. So um, I've been listening to a lot of that, how, how I built this. I'm an avid listener of how I built this. Um, I've actually seen one of their shows, shows live of uh, Jenny's ice cream here in Columbus, Ohio, but I often get inspired by other people's stories and, and really am, am usually taking one or two things away of, well, I hadn't thought about that for the business or, or you know, certain aspect that we could uh, apply. So th those are two that come to mind. And then, you know, there's others that I'll, I'll pop in and out of. But how I built this in, in Founders Journal are, are usually making the, the top of the list right now. Yeah, I like the Founders Journal concept of it being 10 minutes long. I haven't listened to it, but that's probably what I'll put on my radar. Because I listen, the main one I listen to is the Tim Ferriss Show. Mm -hmm. And those are awesome episodes, but they're definitely longer so you kind of have to commit or break them up. So I'll look into some of the more short form versions. So I think that is a good setup to kind of talk about then ways that people can find you and the types of people that would be good to interact with. I know that, I mean, obviously myself just being out of school, I graduated not this last May, but may of 2020 so i have a lot of debt as well so that is something that's on my mind so there's definitely not a lack of people with debt who are pharmacists or in healthcare that are looking into just learning more about those topics um what's a good way for people who are maybe like five to ten years out of school or less to be able to start having an interaction with you or with your company? Yeah, we, we do what's called the discovery call for folks that are interested in one-on-one -on -one planning. So this is a one-hour call with, with Tim Baker and myself, really trying to figure out, is what we offer a good fit for you or not? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is, is no for a variety of reasons. Um, and so yfpplanning.com, that's where folks can book a, book a discovery call. I will say, Chris, you know, I, I think because we've done so much work on student loan debt, of which I'm proud of. I actually just had a call yesterday with someone who was throwing out terms, PSLF and repay and all these other things that I felt like five years ago, you know, were, were definitions that we were explaining over and over. So I feel like we really have elevated the education awareness around student loans, but we do work. If you're a pharmacist and you're working on your financial plan, that intersect of pharmacy and finance is where we are. And so we've got, you know, many clients that are six figures or more in debt and really trying to get started We've got, you know, many, many pharmacists that are in that mid-career where, you know, maybe the debt's behind me and I'm thinking more about optimizing my investing and saving strategy. I'm thinking about kids' college more. I'm thinking about, you know, aging parents that I'm taking care of and all those issues that come there. And then we've got, you know, folks who work with in that pre-retiree retiree where, hey, we worked really hard to accrue. And now there's all this strategy on more of that distribution side from a tax you know, efficiency standpoint and, and making sure we do that, that whole phase of retirement well. So we really are at the intersection 
of pharmacy and finance, whether you're a new practitioner, mid-career, you know, late, late career. Um, and so folks can learn more at yapplanning.com. They certainly can reach out uh, to, to me on LinkedIn as well. And, and all of our content is available at yourfinancialpharmacist.com. Awesome. And then the book. We haven't really talked about the book that you wrote or co-authored. Um, where's the best place for people to look into that? Do you sell through your own website or do you sell through Amazon? We, we should do a separate LinkedIn on this. So yeah, uh, seriously, we, we have it on both, but the vast, yeah. vast majority of our sales uh, come, come in-house. So we self-published it. Uh, it'd be fun to talk through kind of the strategy and why, why we did that pr primarily yeah. on uh, pricing models, tiers, lead generation, capturing leads, um, being able to interact with those folks after purchase, things of which you can't necessarily do on, on Amazon, yeah. um, let, let alone the, you know, pro the percentage of, of revenue share and so forth. But sevenfigurepharmacist.com is, is the, the website where people can get a copy of the book also is awesome. available on Amazon, but we've published now, uh, four books. Uh, we wrote that one, T Tim Church and I wrote that initial book and we've had, uh, three other books that have come out. Tim, Tim Church wrote the second one and two others since then that were authored by actually uh, two other folks in the YFP community that were passionate about different topics that we played more of the publisher role. So that'd be a, a fun conversation for, for a different day. Definitely. Yeah. We're definitely gonna have to set up another one of these because I think we both like talking shop and like sharing these types of conversations. So what are the final things that you want to leave people with if they remember anything about you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, you know, for, for many, I sense for many, many pharmacists that I talk with, there's this kind of nagging, unsettling feeling of like, hey, I've got an idea, whether that's a business idea, whether that's an idea with my current employer, uh, whether that's a desire, you know, to, to take on a different position or challenge or seek an opportunity. And I just don't know what to do with it, where to go with it. And I'm not sure if I'm willing to kind of take that next step. And my, my encouragement would be, you know, yeah, do, do your due diligence. Th think about, you know, the implications of, of that decision. But what what is the one one next step that you can take? And that might be to talk to someone that might be to read a resource or learn. But, you know, what's the one tangible next step that you can take such that if you take that step, you're on the path towards the other ones from there. And, and I think that as small or insignificant as that one step can be, just like we see with the financial plan, momentum is, is really everything, I, I think, when we're thinking about the long term. I love that. I could probably implement that into my day-to-day -day right now as well. But this was an awesome conversation. And thanks so much for your time, Tim. And we'll definitely be doing another one of these soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity.